0: Hi folks, Steve Urban here, founder and CEO at recruiting and consulting firm, RiderFlex. If you think today's tip or guest interview can help someone you know, please share this with them. And if you enjoy listening to our show, please subscribe to our channel and hit the like button on the episodes. Finally, aside from our podcast, our day job here at RiderFlex is to provide recruiting, staffing, and consulting services. You can visit riderflex.com to learn more about us and get the information on the services we provide. And now a quick word from our sponsor and friends at Marketing 360.
1: Try the number one marketing platform for small business. Everything you need from design to marketing to CRM. Learn more at marketing360.com. Marketing 360, fuel your brand.
0: All right, Ryan Bourne on the Riderflex Flex podcast. Oh, I like that mic. What is it? What, what's going on with that mic? What is that? Is that, is that <laughs> that buffer? What is that? I, is that
1: uh, you see all buffer. my friends give me a hard time about it? They think it's an animal, but no, it's a it's a mic. Um, it's a <laughs> dual purpose mic, so I use it for my DSLR if I'm filming videos, but then can also use it for podcasts and recordings. But it's it's a road mic,
0: it is okay. So, can I ask you a question on that? So, so I got a road mic now. Do I have to have something extra? Do I have to have like a, a, a I don't know, like a, like a box or something along with my laptop? Because I bought this mic, this expensive mic, not the one I'm using now, I bought this other one. And I just kind of like just tried to plug in the USB. I thought it'd be nice and simple, but that didn't, that didn't work.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think it depends on each mic. So for this one, I have to use a splitter um, that splits out and creates like a dual audio channel. So it goes into the audio jack, the 3.5 millimeter, but then it has a splitter. So it splits between audio out versus audio in mm. and then you can configure if you want like external speakers or if you want to use your computer speakers but it won't work without that. if you just plug the mic directly in the computer it's not gonna work
0: Hmm. okay maybe we can talk offline later you can you, you can help me with that or send me a link to to what you purchased because i
1: sounds yeah it's good
0: <laughs> i mean the mic i have is decent but i would like a better one yours sounds fantastic by the way Sounds
1: really That's good to hear, yeah. <laughs> cool.
0: So so you're in Boulder today, um, and you've lived in Boulder for how long now?
1: It's been about a year and a half. Uh, we went through an accelerator program back in 2019, so I was out here for a few months, and that, okay. that's really what introduced me to Boulder, and then moved back out here full-time in May of 2020.
0: May, May of 2020 is when you moved?
1: Yeah, good time to move, right? Although I was in San Francisco prior to that, and it was a good time to get out of the city and into more of the suburbs and you know, be in kind of nature more so. Right,
0: right. Where'd you grow up? Santa Barbara, California, where, where are you from?
1: I'm from California. Yeah, so I grew up in Orange County and then went to college in Santa Barbara. So I slowly started my, making my way up the coast and then after graduation, moved up to San Francisco for work. Okay, what'd your folks do? My parents are both entrepreneurial, um, ah. so my dad, That's, I think that's where I, I got the bug initially. So my dad has always owned his own businesses, you know, either because he can't work for someone else because uh, he doesn't like having the boss or, you know, he saw a bigger opportunity. I'm not entirely sure which one it is. I think it's probably the former, but he initially, you know, started a pool cleaning business when he was in his twenties and saw that through for a while, ended up selling it and started a like a residential commercial painting business where he just paints homes and commercial buildings. And he's been doing that for, gosh, I don't know, 30 some years at this point. Wow. How old is he? He is in his early sixties.
0: Early sixties. Now, if you're, is he still doing the work? Or is he just managing and pointing and delegating? <laughs>
1: he's He's been managing pointing and delegating for quite a while now. So yeah, okay. he owns the business, but he's not actually painting
0: yeah if you're in your 60s your body your body as a painter in your 60s i'm guessing that would be that would be that would be hard
1: <laughs> oh for sure yeah and like also the respiratory issues you don't really think about it but you're breathing a lot of paint and when you do that over 30 years mm-hmm. you know it starts to cause some issues so like that's that's another tough thing that most folks don't think about mm-hmm. what's your mom do my mom is a real estate agent so she she's actually a broker and owns her own practice in orange county uh-huh.
0: Okay. All right. Very good. Any siblings?
1: I have one brother who's older, three years older. So, you know, he beat up on me all the time growing up, which is always fun. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Probably shaped you a little bit though in certain different ways, right? It did. Uh, made it made you, me tougher. Made you, yeah. It made you
1: tougher, right? What's he do? He works at a company called Cello, where he's a software engineer and Cello is a blockchain company. So his his whole interest and in really what he spends his time focused on is blockchain, NFT, emerging technologies. Um, yeah. That's, that's kind of what he's been doing for the past, gosh, it's gotta be at least five years or, you know, really when like blockchain started becoming an emerging technology before you even had the mainstream, that's what he's been focused on.
0: And you know, Interesting. Your mom was in real estate, which is in a, in a large to a large degree sales. Your dad w- was an entrepreneur. Well, I guess your mom's an entrepreneur too, right? If she, if she has a brokerage. Mm-hmm. Um, your dad was uh, a skilled worker that turned it into a business, but yeah, neither one of them were, were writing code or anything, right? And you and your brother <laughs> end up, both of you and your brother end up being software engineers. Interesting. How, how'd that happen? Were you guys, was your dad like, hey, just get into computers? Were you just into it when you were young? How'd that happen for both of you guys, considering what your parents did?
1: I would say it's the opposite. I think both of us had an aversion to what our parents were doing just because we saw it as hard work, right? Like, okay. it pre- like it was really hard work doing what they were doing. They didn't have healthcare benefits. There's just a lot of things that you don't typically get if you're a small business owner, if you're an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. And we had a bit of an aversion to it. And we were both like, no, like, let's go to college. Let's get degrees. Let's go work at large companies that are nice and cushy. And I think for me personally, I got bored pretty quickly. And I was like, no, this isn't for me. I, I, I do want to go the entrepreneur route. And like, I see that it's possible because my parents have done it. And that's how I ended up going down that way. I mean, another wow. thing to note too, is like when we were growing up, computers were mo- like computers were starting to come into homes, right? Like mm-hmm. that was a big kind of shift in personal living. And my brother and I just played a lot of computer games growing up and he's actually the one that convinced me to get into computer engineering because he was like hey you know those computer games that we used to play like that's what computer engineering is you just like build video games and i was like wow that sounds awesome like why am i not doing that (laughs) of course that's like not at all what it is right like it's such a small percentage of the market of the industry is building computer games but that's what sold me and so i was like okay like i'm gonna go get a degree in computer engineering so i can build computer games
0: did your dad take you with, when you were young, like 15, 16, 17, did you go to some work sites with your dad and you're like, you're like busting ass all day painting and you're thinking to yourself, I don't want to do this for a living.
1: <laughs> oh, totally. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I tried to get a job at 15, just working for someone else. And it was really difficult to even get interviews. Like even at like normal retail stores, like Kohl's or like TJ Maxx, like I ended up working at TJ Maxx when I turned 18. So I finally got a exactly. job there. Gotcha. But I was like trying when I was 15 and they wouldn't give me an interview. And so my dad's like, Hey, like, come work on the site with me if you want. And I'll pay you, you know, decent money, but it was hard work. Yeah. I was like, I built a lot of respect for, for skilled workers at that point.
0: Isn't it interesting? I bet you had some moments there when you're 16, you know, cause when you're 15, 16, you you're also kind con- of, most teenagers are going through the stage where they're like, I know more than my parents or there's a little bit of <laughs> a little bit of rebellious rebellious stage. Right first couple of times you 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 spent 10 hours painting houses you probably went home thinking damn my dad's actually a lot more a lot tougher than i thought
1: <laughs> oh totally yeah it's humbling and also seeing him like in his environment you know with his team that he's hired and managing them built up lot mm-hmm. of
0: yeah yeah good 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 okay very good so that shaped you in a lot of ways uh, for your entrepreneurial spirit you tried working for some bigger companies so you come out of by the way why Santa Barbara I'm just curious any particular reason why Why you went to that school is that where your brother went to by the way
1: no my brother went to San Diego um, okay. yeah I mean I grew up in Orange County so I'd go to the beach a lot and so I knew I wanted to be somewhere coastal is either is honestly either coastal or somewhere near the mountains because I really enjoyed snowboarding growing up but okay Okay. paying out-of-state tuition in Colorado was going to be too expensive and we couldn't afford it. So it really limited the options. So I was like, all right, like I'm, I'm going to apply to San Diego and I'll apply to Santa Barbara and then a couple other schools and ended up choosing Santa Barbara. Oh, so you visited CU? You thought about CU? Well, CU is out of our price range. There's no way. Like we already knew before even visiting that it wasn't an option. So I visited uh, Colorado Springs, which was a bit more affordable. Okay. And like realized that Hmm, Colorado, like the springs are pretty far from the mountains. Like it's not really going to be that much closer than where I'm living in orange County. So maybe that's not the right choice. And it was still like fairly expensive without a state tuition. Your
0: folks still uh, in California, orange County.
1: They are. Yep. I'm trying to convince them to move, but they're still there.
0: Really? Yeah. Right. I mean, there's well, at least if you read the news, you would, there's this mass exodus, but I don't, I don't know if that's all hyped up in the news or not, but I don't know if that's real, but anyway, um okay so you come out of school but by the way uh so you graduated in 2014 so six seven what are are you 28 29 where where are you at in there
1: 29 i still got one more good year in me
0: (laughs) (laughs) all right 29 you married kids anything like that yet
1: no not yet i'm engaged we're getting married next next august
0: oh you're engaged all right so a date is set
1: Yep, data set post uh, post COVID. We had to wait until COVID cleared. So yeah, we're doing it next August, of 2022.
0: Tell me about this. How long you been? How long you been with this? Is 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 uh, your fiance? Is she from here? And how long you been with her?
1: She is from California. So she grew up in Northern California and met her back in college. So we've been together for nine years now. Eight eight or what? nine years.
0: Wow. Okay, you've dated for nine years. Was there ever any like, okay, we're going to break up for a year and then you got back together? Any of that?
1: No, we were, we were together the whole time, although it was tough doing long distance because we started dating in college and I was going to school in Santa Barbara and she went to Berkeley. And so that's a decent, you know, decent distance between us.
0: Now you've been engaged for, uh, what'd you say, a year? How long? What, like-
1: uh, less than that, about about six months, seven months. Six months. Six months.
0: Did you ask her like after you got the after you closed the seed round? <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's about a year after the seed round. That was that was more for her parents more than it was for her, you know, making sure that <laughs> we're stable and secure. <laughs> yeah, right.
0: Okay. All right. Very good. Okay. Um, does she like Colorado?
1: She does, yeah. I, I think it was tough moving right in the middle of the pandemic just because we don't know a ton of people out here and it's really hard to meet other uh, folks, you know, during a pandemic when no one wants to actually meet in person. Right. right. <laughs> so that was yeah. the hard part initially, but we've started to build out a, a larger friend group. And I think it's been really enjoyable for her now that we have friends and everything's opened up again and you know, nature yeah. is so close by here. Very cool. All right. What's she do? She works at a startup as well. So she works at like a series B startup that's in the health tech space. Health tech. What's, what's her function? She is on the sales team again, like sales enablement, managing a team of I think four or five folks. What did you
0: did you say? Hey, come do sales for us. I mean, one of your first hires was sales. Did you were you like, hey, come on, what, what what's up? Come help me sell this stuff.
1: She's doing enterprise, so it's very different. Like we are SMB, high volume, high velocity, low RPU. She's doing low volume, low velocity, very high RPU. So like her okay. average deals you know, in the millions per year, which is very different than what we're doing.
0: Wow. So when she closes a deal, it's millions of dollars.
1: Oh, it's a big deal. Yeah. Like they're only closing a handful of deals per year, but right, every right. time they close a deal, it's yeah, it's a, it's a very large deal for them. Big,
0: big thing. Okay. All right, cool. So, all right, so let's, let's go back just a little bit before you move. So so you get out of college or you work for, looks like you worked for Clutch Mobile, CIO Technologies. You're kind of moving along you're like okay yeah this is cool but but what 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 happens you, did you have a your co-founder was that a buddy in college and then as you guys are working you're, you're talking to each other over beers saying let's start our own thing what talk to talk to me about how it happened
1: yeah so it wasn't it wasn't that deliberate um it was a bit of a more windy road <laughs> but essentially after graduating college, I went and worked at the startup called Mojave Networks, which is the same as Clutch Mobile. Essentially, we had a rebrand because of a, a trademark issue. Okay. Um, I was working at Mojave Networks. About six months into being there full-time, we got acquired by a company called Sophos, which is oh, based out happened. of the UK. They're about 2,500 employees. Um, we were, I think, like 14-ish at the time at Mojave Networks, so very small. Uh, we'd only raised a seed round. So we went through the acquisition process. Then the next couple of years we're really focused on integration of how do we integrate our existing product into Sophos's product suite okay and about at that two-year mark Sophos went public um so it got a did you did you, did you
0: have equity in that did you have any did you
1: no nothing substantial I mean oh, we did okay. get it was, it was mostly a cash deal uh, the acquisition oh, okay. so I got cash like at the time that we got acquired but a little bit of equity really nothing that was substantial though okay um but what we did get was retention bonuses. So SoPost gave every employee at Mojave retention, like one year and two year retention bonuses to keep folks around. Okay. But naturally what happened was after the two years, all of our leadership team left, right? Because they cashed out. Yeah. They got all the money they yeah. could ever get from the deal. Obviously yep. they're still getting paid, but they're like, nope, like on to the next thing. Like we don't want to work at large companies. We are, we're startup people and they went and started another company, which was, definitely beneficial for me because now pretty much everyone that was in leadership and mid-level management left and so you know i was like hey i'm, I'm ready for more responsibility i want to manage an yep. engineering team, yeah, like, for, yeah
0: you're, you're over here like hey me i'm over here okay yep. very good
1: <laughs> so then yeah like i got i got the responsibility of managing a few other engineers and like got to cool. build up that kind of leadership experience which i think is really hard to do at that age right like i was 20 three at the time, I want to say 24, um, wow, man. managing engineers, like getting this visibility into this public company. Um, but then about six months later, they ultimately decided that they were going to move our product to a different office that was well-established. It was a much larger office. We were still like a very small satellite office. We never fully integrated into another office. Okay. And so actually the day after I guess I take a step back. I was, I was building like all these websites and like side projects on nights and weekends. I always- uh, you mean,
0: uh, As like a consultant for, you were doing little little side cash gigs or like for fun or for friends?
1: No, just for fun, just for myself. Okay, okay It was like my, my own problems I was trying to solve. So like one example was, I was starting to get into like stocks and investing. And I was like, hey, like, why isn't there a way to know when a company is about to go public? Because that's how you can make decent money is if you get in early on an IPO. And so I built this service that would notify you about IPOs. And you could like subscribe to specific industries, you could subscribe to specific companies, and then it would okay. email you saying, like, hey, like these are the three companies that are going public this week. And like, here's how you get into the deal. Great. So I built, yeah, it was like super fun. Like built that project. And that was just one. I built a handful of different projects kind of. Did you sell weekend. it? No, it's 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 still just sitting there somewhere. Didn't really do anything with it.
0: Wow. Okay. All right.
1: Well, when, um, yeah
0: i mean that sounds like that's why well, you could have done something with that i guess that's a different podcast but all right so you're doing this stuff on the side
1: yeah and like really just for fun um and so i built this website for cloud campaigns i was like oh like social media marketing is it's kind of dead like it needs to be revamped there needs to be someone to like come in and really rethink how social media management works okay. and so i built the website literally the next day hr like global hr comes into our office and they're like hey, thanks for integrating the product. It's been a fun ride. Like we're shutting down the entire office and all of you have two and a half months to decide like if you want to come and work for us still, you're going to have to move to British Columbia and work out of our Vancouver office. (laughs) Otherwise, like here's a retention bonus, or not not retention, here's a, a severance package. And, you know, thanks for all the hard work, good knowing you type thing. Wow. All right. So you took that
0: cash, you took the severance, Yep. All right. All right. Uh, and then what? You Then you called your buddy over some beers and said, let's use this cash to start something. No, <laughs> I, I don't know. What happened next?
1: So what happened next was because I had built all those side projects over the past year or so, I had a really good indication that cloud campaign was was going to take off. Like it was a good opportunity because people, the general public just responded to it a lot different than any other side project. Like that IPO side project that I built, I was like, oh, this is a great idea. And, like, put it out there, publish it on forums, publish it in groups. And people are like, yeah, it's cool. But, like, no, I don't want to pay for this. Like, I would never pay for something like this. Cloud campaign is very different. Like, the first day I put it up, a lot of people started signing up saying, like, this is great. Like, I want to get first access to it. I want to start paying for it. And so my Mm -hmm. thought was, like, okay, like, this has legs. Like, let me start focusing on this. And, like, I'll spend... You know six to nine months working on it and if it doesn't work out then i'll figure out something else but like let me just try this because i don't have a mortgage i don't have kids like there's no there's very little responsibility for me right now and if i don't do this now i'm probably never going to do it so let me just try this
0: and you had yeah. the cash from the severance so you had some so you had a little cash there Where were you exactly. like in a little apartment with your girlfriend or were you still living at home where, where were you
1: Yeah, so i was in san francisco in an apartment with my girlfriend okay. um Okay. Yeah, we were in like a two bedroom apartment in like Knob Hill, Russian Hill area.
0: And she was working. So you had some cash from from her. And then plus you had your servants. So you had so you had a little little room here to breathe and get this thing. Okay, great. I yeah. think that's important. You know, a lot of times our listeners, at least for this show, a lot of aspiring entrepreneurs, you know, they're always like, well, how'd you like, how'd you do that? How did you manage your personal cash? Well, you got that going. So it's good to know. Okay. All right. Yeah. So I mean, I'd, on
1: and I'd saved up a decent amount of cash. So like at that point, I like had enough for a down payment for a condo, and so I was Ah, thinking, like, do I use this money that I've saved up and go buy a condo and go get a cushy job at like Google or Facebook, Mm -hmm. or do I just go for it and try and start this company and put my savings (laughs) into the company, which is obviously way more risky, way more Um, risky. (laughs) But it's it's worked out so far, so I'm not I'm not upset about it. One, what'd your dad say?
0: Was your was your dad like, yeah, go for it, or was your dad like, no, buy the condo? I was curious. What'd your folks say?
1: Oh, he was like, go for it. Yeah. He's like, okay. you're so young. He's like, even if you fail and end up with zero dollars, like you can earn that money back really quickly as a software engineer. All right,
0: All right cool. All right. How'd, where'd the co- how'd the co-founder come into this?
1: Yeah. So about a year into it, maybe a little bit less than that, I went on this like ski trip with some buddies, one of my friends that I grew up with okay. who went to college with Ross, who's my co-founder. Okay. And so on the ski trip, talking with Ross and, you know, learning more about his background and he's like yeah like i'm also entrepreneurial i started this video production company where we're selling commercials to audi it's like wow like that's crazy like that's a really big deal like you're selling a product that doesn't really exist right it's like just the dreams like this is what the commercial is going to look like here's the storyboard now he's like sure here's six figures and i was like that's crazy like if you can okay. do that you could for sure sell software i was like it would be really easy for you and so, and he was,
0: he, he obviously had a, like a dynamic kind of a sales personality, one of those guys. Okay, exactly. Right. Yeah, his
1: background in sales and marketing so is uh-huh. perfect and complementary to my background. All and right. apparently, he was thinking the same things. So like, I didn't, I didn't really broach the conversation when we are on the trip of like, "Hey, do you want to work with me?" I was just kind of thinking in the back of my mind, like, this yeah. guy could be a really good fit. Like, let me talk to my buddy TJ afterwards, like, kind of vet him and make sure he would be a good fit before I actually offer anything. And then the next week after the trip, Ross calls me out of the blue and he's like, Hey, so that thing you're working on, like, have you thought about having like a business partner, or someone to work with? I was like, Yeah, actually that 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 sounds great. Like, let's uh let's talk about it some more and like figure out what this is gonna look like. And then spent the next month just kind of hashing out the details, making sure we're both aligned and like really wanting to do this thing together, have the same kind of goals for the business, and then yeah, he flew up to San Francisco because he was living down in San Diego at the time and just kind of started the whole process.
0: Well, that, that's a little bit risky because you didn't really know him well, but you did have the reference from the person you grew up with. So that helps, but there was still some risk there, I guess, because you know you, you didn't know him well. He wasn't married at the time, single guy, all that. He could take some risks too.
1: Yeah, and I think that's important. Like, So I, I tried to bring on a co-founder previous to Ross and we were just at different points in our life. He was a mm-hmm. bit older. He had a mortgage. He was starting a family. He was married. Mm-hmm. And he just didn't have the same risk tolerance that I did. He was a bit more averse yeah. to it. And so we tried it for a couple of months. And he was like, look, man, like, this is cool. But I, oh. I need to get paid. The other guy, you know. Oh, so you
0: actually, you, so you actually kind of tested a, a, a previous co-founder. Did, now, did you actually give that guy a deal? Or you were still just in the dating phase and nothing was on paper, the first guy?
1: Yeah, so we had a deal. Um, had a deal with, so we, we did like a very similar deal with the first guy, as well as my actual like co founder today, Ross. And luckily, like the first thing I did when starting the business is I brought on an advisor, someone that had started a couple companies in the past and had that experience. Otherwise, I totally would have messed this up. So, like
0: <laughs> the advice
1: of the advisor was, look, well, like, you don't know if this is going to work out. Like, right. don't just don't just give this guy founder shares. Like, you have no idea whether you guys are going to be together that's in a year. So, Make him a contractor. Structure this in a way where his compensation is dependent on hitting certain benchmarks, and like give him a little bit of equity up front just so he's getting compensated for his time. Fully but,
0: vested? You mean you mean like a vesting schedule, or like here's two percent on day one?
1: No, so we had a vesting schedule. Okay, um, yeah, so <laughs> it was is four year vesting, one year cliff, kind of just like standard okay. vesting schedule and, right. and startup start and yeah, it was like. I don't remember the exact numbers it was something like, all right, you're going to get like one and a half percent equity um, just for like helping out. And then if we hit, you know, yeah. 2000 yeah. in MRR within three months and you'll get an additional X number yeah. of points. And yeah. if yeah. we get to 10,000, yeah. you'll get this many points. And so yeah. it was a kind of a way to hedge myself against like making Absolutely. sure that this was the right co-founder. And ultimately what happened is we didn't hit our goals, but I was like, it, it's clear that we're on the right path and like, this is going to work out and we have alignment. I think we're working really well together. So like, here, I'm just going to give you like a decent chunk of equity now, because that's really the only point of the contract was to hedge against this not working out, which happened with the first person I tried to bring on as co-founder. So I was really lucky that we had that situation in place.
0: This advisor, was this advisor, your dad or so, or a family member or who was this?
1: No. So his name's is, his name is Taz Patel. Um, okay. He had worked at a couple of, Like early startups that got acquired by Yahoo, I think in the early 2000s, maybe Mm -hmm. like, Mm -hmm. yeah, I think it was early 2000s. So like he had been in the startup scene for a little while, had a couple of good exits. And then most recently he started his own company called Captivate, which is in San Mateo. It's like an influencer marketing platform Um, and they're, they're, they're successful. So yeah, I just leaned on him because he had that experience. How'd you know him? Just met him randomly. Yeah, so I was working in San Mateo at Mojave Networks at the time, and he was working at his own startup, Captivate. We both happened to adopt dogs in the same week, and we both didn't know what we were doing. And we we're just like walking down the streets of San Mateo, taking our dogs on a walk. And it was like this funny story Like my dog, Benny, he just sees Marvel's, which is Taz's dog, and just lays down. And Marvel's is like a block and a half away. So it's like super far away. I'm like, no, like, let's go. We're, we're walking. Benny's like, no, and just like lays there and just hold tight and not move. And Marvel, same thing, just, like, locked eyes with Benny from, like, a block and a half away and just starts pulling his owner or her, her owner towards Benny. And wow. it's, like, this really awkward, like, you know, block and half. I'm, like, oh, like, hey, like, I see you over there. I'll, I'll wait for you. And eventually, <laughs> they make it over to us. And, like, the dogs start playing. And, I, you know, I mentioned, like, oh, like, I don't really know how this works. But, like, you know, this is my dog, Benny. We just adopted them. And he's, like, oh, no way. Like, this is my dog, Marvels. We just adopted her. Wow. And started talking and we're like, we should just meet at the park like a couple times a week because our dogs have way too much energy and it's terrible having them in the office if they're not tired. So like, let's just meet at lunch during the park and let the dogs run. And then started to like learn more about him. And I was like, wow, like, this guy is super impressive. He has a great background. I should like get to know him better and invite him over right. for dinner and like start to build a relationship. And so that's like, is really just serendipitous and happenstance of how I met him
0: awesome is he an investor
1: he is not an investor but he's a a formal advisor
0: formal advisor okay and now you know this is a a tip this is a tip for some of the listeners now a lot of folks if they don't have a board of an official board of directors yet which you probably don't they usually have an advisory board now a lot of advisory board members and startups aren't paid because they're doing it out of the goodness of their heart but sometimes they're on equity, some, some, some sort of small vesting schedule for equity to compensate them for their time. Is that, is that similar to what you set up for your advisors?
1: It is. Yeah. So we have three advisors at this point, two of them are investors. One has, is not, um, okay. but all of them have yeah, all of them have like some compensation equity wise. And it's like, I think it's two year vesting with like a six month cliff or something. That's what we configured.
0: Very similar to what we did for Rider Flex. Great tip for the listeners. Yeah, a two year deal for advisory board members is a little more common. Um, great tip for, for people listening to the show. Um, another thing I wanted to just kind of highlight there, you know, for the listeners, so many times I, I talk to aspiring entrepreneurs and they'll tell me, I have this friend and we started this, this this business or we have this idea and we're kind of getting going. And I'll say, do you have an operating agreement? Do you have a cap table set up? Do you have anything in place? Oh no, no. You know, me and Johnny, I've done, I've known Johnny forever. He's a good friend. We don't need all that. I'm just like, okay. Yeah. Uh, great move on your part early on to have everything on paper. This is how it works. This is what the vesting schedule is. This is what happens if we don't like each other anymore and you want out. All of that needs to be lined out upfront. I don't care how long you've known the person. I don't care if they're a childhood friend from kindergarten. Make sure you have all of that in place on paper before you sign somebody up as a co-founder or work them into any kind of equity deal,
1: right? Yeah, that's (laughs) so smart. I mean, that's great advice because Everything's great while things are going well, but as soon as something goes wrong, or like even if something goes really well, right? Like if you exit and have some crazy outcome, right? People are greedy. People are just naturally greedy and they're gonna be like, No, I thought you'd promise me 30%. And you're like, <laughs> absolutely not. And it just ends up becoming this terrible mess. You lose a friend during the process, like it's it's not worth it. Yeah, just have everything documented and signed ahead of time.
0: Yeah. So your second guy you tried though worked out well so far.
1: Yeah, it's been great. Um, yeah, so like we're we're still um, co-founders today, obviously, and things nice. are, are working out really well. And our skill sets complement each other, which I awesome. think is just so important, right? Like my background is more technical, uh, more on the engineering product side. His background is more sales and marketing. So Perfect. we made it really clear in terms of like who owns what, and we weren't worried about stepping on each other's toes or like. You know like overseeing each other's work or or kind of conflicting in that sense. It was like, nope, I got product and engineering, you got sales and marketing. Yes. Let's go from there.
0: Another great piece of advice, you know, if you're gonna select co-founders, you know, do your best to find somebody that complements your skill set. I mean, I now I have seen situations work where the both co-founders are engineers and coders, you know, and then immediately hire a salesperson or something I mean, So it, it's not it's not impossible. But boy, it really helps if, you're, if your co-founders all have certain functions that, you know, and certain expertise. So great, great move on, on your part for sure. Okay, so now's probably a good time to give us the cloud campaign elevator pitch. Uh, <laughs>
1: Perfect.
0: Go for it. Tell the listeners, cloud campaign, what it is today. Give us a nice overview.
1: Yeah, so Cloud Campaign is a digital platform that helps marketing agencies manage social media at scale. So think about your typical agency, they're managing you know anywhere from five to let's say 30 clients and they're managing their social media for them. Mm-hmm. It's very difficult to do that without having the proper systems in place. And so Cloud Campaign is that platform that allows them to pretty much have everything they need from a social perspective under one roof. Um, They have the client agency relationship and like all done through our system. So if you think about like approvals, right, like a lot of agencies need to get their content approved before they can publish it on the client's behalf. And so we handle that entire aspect of it. Also reporting, like at the end of the month, agencies need to send reports to their clients. We Mm. have white labeled reports Mm. that they can send that has all their branding on it. It looks very professional. The agency can just generate that with a single click and send it to the client.
0: Ooh, okay, and and does it also help being logged in and passwords and all these different? I mean, instead of like, okay, I'm gonna I got 80 accounts, all 80 of them need a Facebook post today, and so I'm mm-hmm. gonna try to navigate through re-signing in <laughs> and out. Does it help with that too, or no?
1: It does, yeah. So the agency just needs to link up the account once using OAuth, and then we handle all the authentication from there on out and so they never have to really they never have to go to the platforms again so if they don't want to go into facebook they don't want to go on instagram twitter linkedin youtube google my business like all of those platforms we integrate directly with and they can publish directly from our platform to those
0: Ooh, ooh, nice okay now is this also a replacement of their of their crm or replacement of salesforce do they use this to manage account relations as well, or no?
1: Not yet, so that's coming very, very soon. So we just raised the Series A round in May of okay. 2021. Okay. And the main focus of that funding is to build out more of an operating system for marketing agencies where we will help them you know, manage all their clients, send proposals to new prospects, invoice their clients, and actually mm. get paid at the end of the month. Mm. So that's really where we're going in the next kind of 12 to 18 months here.
0: Ah, okay. Was that was that a vision early on, or you've just worked that in and made some pivots and changes as you've as you've kind of moved along here?
1: Yeah, so it's kind of been worked in over the past couple of years here. It wasn't initially the vision. The vision initially was hey, social media space needs to be fixed, like it needs some disruption for agencies because a lot of them are using kind of director brand solutions like, let's say Hootsuite or Sprout Social or Sprinklr right. that don't really scale well for multi-brand management. And so that was the initial idea. And kind of through that process and working with some of our advisors, they were pointing out this bigger opportunity. They're like, hey, the marketing agency <laughs> space, yeah, that's their job, right? Like, how do you build a <laughs> billion-dollar business? And they were pointing out that the marketing agency space isn't really well defined or like owned by any particular brand. It's, it's really fragmented. And there needs to be some sort of brand that comes in and just builds the entire operating system for agencies. Like almost similar to Shopify, right? If you wanna go and start an online store, you go to Shopify and they can get your e-commerce store spun up within 20 minutes. You can you know host your store. You can put all your products online. They have partners to help with fulfillment. They help you with marketing. I was like, why doesn't that exist for marketing agencies? Like, we already have a really good foothold in the, in the market with our social media management tool. Like, why don't we just solve all these other issues? So that's, mm, this mm. kind of happened a couple of years ago. And so we've been building towards now, like having enough capital to hire the engineers to start to build out these other products.
0: So right now I have several uh, marketing agency friends that have been on the podcast and I haven't even thought about asking them like, what's your operating system? We haven't even talked about it. I'm just curious what they're using. What's common? What are are agencies using right now? Microsoft Word and spreadsheets or what are they they using?
1: (laughs) A lot of them, yes. Yeah, it's crazy. Like a lot of it is just extremely fragmented and manual. So a lot of them are using uh you know QuickBooks for getting paid or maybe they're using yeah. like just pure ACH and going to their bank directly or collecting checks. So it's a it's a fairly manual process. And then they're using, you know, either spreadsheets to, to do prospecting or maybe they're using like HubSpot if they're very sophisticated, but that's most it's it's overkill for most agencies that are uh, like small to medium size. Okay. Um and then you know for social media management specifically if you think about social media management, like there's just so much data and so many processes that you're having to manage. If you yes. have five clients, each client has four social accounts, each yes. account needs three posts per week, you're like yeah like, yes. it's nearly impossible. And so like what we what we kind of see happening is a lot of these small agencies or freelancers typically break when they get to like three to five clients. That's kind of the breaking point where like they just can't do it anymore and they start to like. Lose, like they start to like forget posts or things fall through the cracks and so what we see them doing today is they're on Hootsuite or some other like scheduler that's built for brands they're using spreadsheets for getting posts approved so they'll send like a spreadsheet to the client like hey here's what your post gonna look like just like write yes next to it if you approve <laughs> it's like that's <laughs> such a bad system <laughs> and then they'll have like some calendar apps like maybe they're just using google calendar to like describe what the post is going to be each day, but then they have to like go back to food suite and actually like post it on that day. And so it ends up becoming this like super convoluted, messy system. And I think that's why we've had such success within the social media space so far is because we just replace all of that and have it all under one roof.
0: Mm, I love the idea, you know, and it's, it's kind of the same for, you know, Ryderflex is a recruiting firm. Right. And so we're a service business, just like a marketing agency. And a lot of our clients are very similar in, in nature of, of how the relationship works. Very, you know, We have the same problem as a, as a startup, you know, million and a half dollar recruiting firm, kind of the same thing, right? Like we're using QuickBooks for the accounting, we're using HubSpot a little bit for client management, we're using spreadsheets for this, we're using mm-hmm. Google Drive to keep stuff. And it's a little uh, fragmented and scattered. But it's interesting when I, when I think, you know, cause I get sales calls all the time as a CEO for Riderflex, Right. I mean, people are always trying to sell me something yep. and um, they'll call. And when I think of when somebody's trying to pitch me an operating system or some sort of software platform, my immediate thought as a startup CEO is I don't have the money for that. And I don't have time. Like I, I don't, I don't need another expense on my, on my, on my uh, income statement. And I, I don't have time to talk about that anyway. Uh, is that a road is that the roadblock you get when you're trying to pitch this and have a conversation with with you know agency ceos i'm just curious what they say when you're hitting them
1: yeah i mean we've been fortunate that we've grown sales to date just via inbound so really running, yeah i mean we're, we're, we're advertising so we're running ads on facebook and instagram saying okay, okay. hey okay. here's our product click here to schedule a demo with our sales team so all of the leads that are coming to our sales team are already SQLs. They're inbound. They're very high intent. They're ready to purchase. I see. So like see. We, we have tried outbound um, very early on and we ran into that issue where folks are like, I don't have time to switch. I don't, I'm not interested in switching. I don't have a budget for this now because it's all inbound. They've already experienced the pain point. They understand the problem that we're solving and they're like, mm. yes, I'm at that point where I'm managing three to five clients manually or using some other solution that's in the market. And I can't get beyond this point. I can't add more clients because there's just too many things that are in the air and I'm not gonna remember to do everything. So I need some sort of system that's gonna put this all into order for me. And Mm -hmm. it's a really quick sales process. So like, Mm. it's typically 30 minutes. Um, It's a quick 30 minute demo. About 75% of folks that go through the demo actually skip the free trial and put in their credit card and pay by the end of it. How
0: did you get the cash to do the ads to get the inbound.
1: It's a good question. I mean, so initially I had put in seventeen thousand dollars of my own savings into the company, okay. and then my co-founder okay. Ross put in ten thousand. So, okay, we had about twenty-seven grand to test and iterate. Which, like today, that's not even what we spend What's... on advertising in one month. We spend like double <laughs> that. But <laughs> back then, that was a lot. That was a lot of money that we could run small experiments with. So we're you know, spending $100, $200 on Facebook ads, Google ads, YouTube ads to see like, what sticks, can we get one customer, can we get one person that's interested. Mm -hmm. And so we just ran a ton of experiments over about nine months until we finally found one that actually worked. And we were generating leads at the time, I think it was like $10, $15 of leads saying like, yes, I want a demo, I'm very interested. And then we started to scale from there. So like instead of spending $200 on that one campaign, we're like, okay, this seems to be working. Let's try $500 this month. Okay, that worked. Let's try $1,000 this month. So we like, okay. we're like we pretty okay. frugal and ramped it up pretty slowly.
0: Mm. Who, who had expertise at that? Spending money on, on pay-per-click or keywords for Google or Facebook ads? like,
1: you guys just kind of learning on the fly? <laughs> pretty much learning on the fly. So I was fortunate that my girlfriend was working at Facebook at the time. Ah. so she had some helpful connections there were like two folks two account managers that were managing very large ad budgets for their clients um, at facebook mm-hmm. and so she made the connection to them and they helped us kind of ideate different campaigns that we should try and iterate on it and get to a place where it's actually producing results
0: what was more fruitful for you right away uh the google pay-per-click or facebook ads do you know
1: Facebook. We only, during that initial nine months, we only got one client ever from Google PPC.
0: Okay. I just did an interview with the CEO from OBVI. O-B-V-I. It's a, it's a women's collagen uh, product deal. And uh, they took the revenue from 100, 178,000 to 5 million. And I asked him how he did it. Wow. And he said, he said, Facebook ads, Facebook ads. I was like, okay, bro. I teach me how to do that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah i mean the targeting is just so specific I'm like we'll see if that changes with the ios 14 update where you can't track users across other apps that's mm. going to be really interesting to see mm. but to date like facebook has so much data on you and everyone else that uses the platform that you can get very very specific with your targeting and if you figure out like it's really two things like one i'll say three things one like what's your targeting who who are you getting in front of if you figure that out then the next thing is what is that carrot like what's going to get them to take action while they're you know probably sitting on the couch aimlessly scrolling facebook instagram whatever while watching tv what's yep. going to get them to be like oh i need to like take action on this right now mm-hmm. and if you figure out what that carrot is then the next step is you know what is kind of the objective or like how are you going to actually get their information so you can get them to purchase maybe it's sending them to your website so they'll go and fill out the sign up form and actually start paying and put their credit card Maybe it's just getting their contact information so you can call them the next day during business hours when they're actually in the right mindset and ready to purchase and then mm. run them through a demo. So like, that's what we do. So mm. we've found the right targeting. The next step is to carrot. We offer free white labeling. That's really valuable to an agency. It's something that we'd use to charge $400 for. We now yeah. offer it for free as mm. the carrot for our ad. Hey, respond to this ad, schedule a demo with our team. And if you go through the demo, we'll give you free white labeling. And that's been really, really compelling. Folks like see the ad and they don't want to miss it. They don't want to miss like the offer. So they'll respond to it right away. We just collect their contact information at that point. And then the following day during business hours, we'll call them and say, hey, you responded to our ad last night. I saw that you wanted a demo. We're offering this free white labeling promo. Do you have time later today or tomorrow to run through a quick 30 minute demo? And that's been really successful for us.
0: Gotcha. Congratulations on that. How big is the company now? Uh, You know, how many employees and do you want to speak to revenue? Sometimes, you know, I don't know how much you want to share there, but give us a general idea of how big the company is.
1: Yeah, happy to. I mean, so we're about 25, 26 employees at this point. Um, we just raised our series A, so we've about doubled in the past two months. (laughs) So it's been crazy. Great. Um, Great. From a revenue perspective, we're at two million in ARR, annual return revenue,
0: and we're pushing
1: three million this year. So we tripled the past two years. The goal is to triple revenue again this year and end at about three point six million ARR. And then, you know, the goal hopefully is to triple again next year and end at just over ten million.
0: Congratulations! What uh, was the Series A? How much was that?
1: We raised five million.
0: Five million. Okay. Now that was your first big raise right uh, for you i mean that was quite an experience i'm sure
1: yeah i mean we'd raised 1.5 million a seed round like a very small seed round back in january of 2020 okay and i think that really laid the groundwork for our series a because all of the investors that we were talking to during the seed round ended up then coming in in the series a and there's one investor that kind of got knocked out of the seed round they just weren't moving quick enough and we didn't have room for them and so mm-hmm. when we went to go raise the series a like at least starting initial conversations, they reached out and said, Hey, like we want the opportunity to lead this, mm-hmm. we will run the process in the background. It's not going to take much of your time and effort. Like, are you okay with that? And of course we're like, sure. Sounds great. Yes. Yeah. Like yeah. we weren't going to, we weren't <laughs> going to start the process for three months. So like if you're able to get us a term sheet by then, then it makes it easy. And like, let's just do that. And so that's what we ended up doing is raising from Organ venture fund and Access Venture Partners kind of co-led the, the Series A.
0: Did those relationships come from the Accelerator when you moved to Boulder? Is that is that how that happened?
1: One of them did. Um, so Access Venture Partners, we got connected with them through a local angel investor, Eric Kirby. So okay. through the Accelerator program, we met Eric. Eric is an LP in a handful of different funds that are here in Colorado. And so mm-hmm. he was able to make those intros pretty early on. And we started conversations like, during our angel rounds. Like we started talking to all the VC firms around here during angel round. Obviously it wasn't fit for any of them because they're like, no, like we don't invest in angel rounds. You don't have anything to prove for it, but it at least built the relationships with the partners. So when we went to go raise the seed round and series A, we'd already known them for a couple of years at this point, they were getting our monthly investor updates. They felt like really comfortable with the business and saw this trajectory for a while. And so it made the whole process of raising those subsequent rounds really, really quick and like, I'm not gonna say easy, but like easier than it would be if we just like started a process from scratch.
0: Do you hate the whole pitch and raise and conversations and doing all that, or do you you like it? Is it a pain in the ass?
1: (laughs) (laughs) There's parts that are fun. Like it's a really good exercise. And so just for context, we were bootstrapped for two years and then we decided to go the VC route and start raising money. Mm -hmm. Um, because we saw there was a bigger opportunity and with the capital, we could actually capitalize on it. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I'd say even if you are bootstrapping and like, you don't intend on raising money, it's helpful to go through the exercise of raising money because you're having really smart minds look at your business and analyze your business. Mm -hmm. Um, they've looked at hundreds of other startups that, you know, hopefully they have a clear idea of like what turns into successful business and what doesn't. And yeah, just going through the process of like gathering all that data, really understand your yep. business better than anyone else, refining your story and your vision and your mission and what you're building for the company, like that exercise is invaluable. And so I'd say that part of fundraising is really fun and enjoyable for me. The actual process of the back and forth and managing emails and, you know, getting all the due diligence documents to the VC firm, like that part is extremely time consuming and it's very repetitive. Like if you're talking to a handful of different firms that are all going through diligence at the same time, you're having to like send all the same documents, have all the same conversations with however many different partners. And you're like, can not you just like look at this data room that I put together and just figure it out on your own? No. A lot of times you have to walk them through like what's in the data room answer like questions that seem a little bit silly in the moment. Um, And so yeah, that part's pretty frustrating.
0: Are you guys still in control? You and your co-founder, do you, like, together, are you in control of the business or, or did you have to give up control with the Series A?
1: So we did give up control during the Series A. Um, common shareholders at this point own 47% of the business. Although it's worth noting that we have an 11% option pool for employees. And so
0: okay. Okay. if
1: you distribute that evenly across all shareholders, then we're just over 50%. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I think, I think technically from a voting right perspective, we are still in control because of that 11% swing. Um, but from like a, a board perspective, we are not in control anymore. So our board is five board members, including me and my co-founder, two independents, and then one VC. Luckily, you know, we're all on the same page so far. I'm like, I'm sure there'll be a situation where we're not and we have to vote. But it's been it's been fairly easy so far. And like that's one thing we've been really thoughtful of is anytime we bring on a new investor, bring on a new board member, really making clear like, hey, this is our vision and this is where we see the company going over the next four years. Mm -hmm. Are you bought in on that or do you see a different vision? If you see a different vision, then like we probably shouldn't work together and we're gonna go find someone else to take money from
0: so technically if things went south they could vote to remove you as the ceo but right now the relationship is good
1: (laughs) yeah exactly yeah yeah i think i'm like yeah sorry was that
0: scary was that scary to 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 know that you were taking that money and that now you're moving into a a little different uh you know type of environment where they can kind of tell you what to do, but even though they don't, but they could. Does that Was that a little scary for you?
1: Yes and no. I mean, just the, the thought of it, right, is a little bit scary, but knowing who we have on our board and who our investors are, it's, it's not scary. Like, okay. I, I really trust our board and I really trust our investors. I think they really do believe in the vision that we're pitching and think that we can accomplish it and we have the right team in place good so good good not not worried today i mean i think it's fairly common though as startups grow that the founder and ceo is maybe not the ceo that takes the company public like it could Mm -hmm. be someone different and i'm Mm -hmm. pretty well aware of that i'm not that naive so like yeah i think there might be a point where we cross that bridge where you know they're like hey you either need to grow 10 times quicker than the company or we need to bring in someone that's 10 years older and has done this before we'll see yeah, that yeah. Comes.
0: gotcha w- who's your primary competition
1: i would say sendable is probably our primary competition they're based out of the uk they're also focused on marketing agencies and social media management they just got acquired um earlier this year and they got rolled up into a pe firm so it'll be interesting mm. to see what happens to their product because i think a lot of us have seen that play out, and a lot of times PE firms are just very focused on profit and how do I build this business and make this profitable as possible, and then flip it and resell it in a few years. And typically, for a customer, that's not a great experience because they're focused on how do I reduce Cogs, right? Like customer success, that's a cog. How do you reduce that? Um, how do you make it just as profitable as possible? Squeeze out all the money. And for customers, it's typically you know, they're the ones that are feeling the biggest impact of that because they're not receiving the support they should receive. The product's not getting updated as quickly as it should get updated.
0: What's your, what's your plan? Uh, Or is this a, well, of course, I guess if it was a lifestyle business for you and your co-founder, that changed when you closed, (laughs) closed the series A. (laughs) So now, now it's obviously grow it and maybe take it public or get acquired obviously is the goal now, right? I'm assuming.
1: Exactly. Yeah. So we have like a four to five year plan to get to a place where we could go public. Um, again, the focus is triple revenue the next two years. So go from three to 10 million and then 10 to 30 million, which will be a very large leap and then double, double. So from 30 to 60 and 60 to North of a hundred. And at that point, that's kind of the benchmark to go public in the U S and so, yeah, hoping we can get to the point where we do have the option of, of going public in four to five years. For the listeners, by the
0: way, cloudcampaign.io, cloudcampaign.io, and your product is not only for marketing agencies, but also for freelancers. Is that correct?
1: That is correct. Yeah. About 15% of our revenue is from freelancers.
0: Okay. Very good. Because as a freelancer, I would think managing multiple accounts is when you don't have any employees to delegate to, and it's only you, I would think that's difficult and your product comes in super handy, I would think.
1: Oh, totally. Yeah. I mean, you can automate just a lot of the tedious tasks that go into social media management and hopefully free up your time as a freelancer to go find more clients, right? Like ultimately what we want is to allow you to onboard more clients without necessarily having to hire a staff. We have, I mean, this is like definitely an anomaly, but we have one freelancer that's using the platform today that has 125 clients that they're managing. (laughs) as a single person, single freelancer, right. no team, no consultants. Okay, I don't even know how they're doing that, but yeah, all right. <laughs> yeah. It's crazy. I mean, they've taken the approach of like a hybrid model where they are using our platform, they give the client access to our platform and then they create all the content for the client. And so they verticalize and focus on a particular niche. So like, let's just say, for example, you only work with martial arts studios, right? The mm-hmm. content that all these martial arts studios are posting in social media is pretty similar. And so they're able to create content that is usable and extensible for all of their clients, put it into their workspaces within Cloud Campaign, and then give the client access to that workspace. And that just makes it so scalable where a single person, again, can manage over 100 clients because the client is the one that's actually going and like checking the content, making changes if necessary. Um, But the agency is putting all the content into the client workspace for them.
0: Mm, I like it. Okay. I like it. I know we're almost out of time. I'm gonna ask you two wrap-up questions real quick. Is that okay? I know we gotta to- totally.
1: yeah, let's do it. Okay.
0: All right, great. Um, by the way, you you are super well spoken, very polished professional for your age. Just want to compliment you there. I you know, I interview I interview lots of people, not only on the podcast, but we're a recruiting firm, right? So I'm interviewing people for a living, right? Right. <laughs> And, you know, you're super, well, you you just put together really well. I can see why investors would be comfortable, you know, giving you money, you and your co-founder money to operate. Uh, You're an impressive young man. So compliments to your parents and and all the rest (laughs) of your mentors and advisors when you were growing up.
1: Um, Yeah, I appreciate it. We, so part of the accelerator program was personal development and they brought in a public speaking coach over the past, like the kind of final three weeks of the program because the culmination of the program was actually a demo day. And I think that helped me immensely just repetition going through the process mm-hmm. of public mm-hmm. speaking and uh, word choice and trying to remove filler words and those types of things I think really benefited me. Speaking of filler words.
0: So people your age, when I interview them, sometimes I stick count how many times they say the word like, Yep. It's they just like before they start every sentence. Like that's the first word of the sentence. And sometimes I'll interview people and I think to myself, "Okay, this is driving me nuts." And you, uh, you are very somebody's coached you on that, or you've just trained yourself not to do that because many people your age do that way too much. You don't do that. The other thing that you got going for you too is you're you're also very humble. You you have a a humble but confident approach where I feel comfortable giving you my money because you seem pretty confident and stable, but you're also humble enough uh, to listen and take feedback and coaching and, and learn. And I think that's a huge asset. So compliments there to you for that.
1: I appreciate it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Two final questions. Um, you're learning so much at this age as, a, as, an entrep- as an entrepreneur and now as a CEO with 25 employees. i mean you're learning something every day right every day wow okay what uh, would you you want to share one or two pieces of advice and i know we could do a whole podcast on it but do you just want to share quickly one or two pieces of advice for aspiring entrepreneurs maybe a couple of buddies out there looking to be co-founders and start something but they haven't anything you want to share with them
1: yeah. I'm trying to boil it down to one or two pieces of yeah, advice. Like I you know, said, it could right? be an entire podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Let's see. So, you know, I think when you're starting a company and like, especially if you have a co-founder thinking through what you want the company to become, right. And like what type of outcome you want. I think it's really easy to just fall into the trap of, I want to start a company. I'll figure out like what a good outcome is for me later, or really what I want out of this. And I think a lot of folks have the mistake of going and raising VC money too early, where they're like, "Oh, this is just the path that you have to go down. You have to go and start a company. You have to have an idea. You th- then go find a VC that's going to back you. You raise money, and then the rest is history. You start to build your team, and et cetera, et cetera." No, like that's that's probably not the right path. Like you should decide, is like, can this actually become a billion-dollar business? Like, can this return VC-type returns? And is that the outcome I want for myself? Like, do I actually want to become a CEO of a public company or spend the next 10 years of my life doing this? If the answer is no, then don't raise VC money. Like, that's going to put you on a very specific path. And so being really deliberate about how you're building the company and what you want the outcome to be. And there's a lot of other vehicles of raising capital that aren't venture capital, right? Like, you can go get debt financing. Like, ClearBank is a good example that does this, where you can go, if you have some revenue, you can go and get... Like a cash advance type thing. You take debt on the balance sheet, you then pay them back as you generate more revenue. It's a good way to get capital to grow a bit quicker without having to dilute yourself and also like have these expectations that you're building a billion dollar business one day. And I think most companies, most ideas, most markets like don't really warrant VC money. That's not like a big enough opportunity where right you can actually have a return that's sizable for investors. Mm-hmm. So to kind of summarize mm-hmm. it, I'd say like really sit down with your co-founder or if it's just you sit down and write down a piece of paper, like what do I want to be doing in five years? What type of business do I want to build? Do I, am I just looking for profit and like, you know, a better lifestyle? If right. so, don't take VC money because like you're not going to, you're <laughs> going to be working crazy hours. You're not going to have <laughs> like a chill 20 hour week. If you're going to go and raise VC money and build a life. That's (laughs) right.
0: Yeah. Great point. How about this young CEO? I mean, you know, you're learning a little bit on the fly here, how to manage teams, right? Like you've never managed a team of 25 people before. So every single day is new for you. Any advice for young first time CEOs based on what you've learned so far?
1: Yeah, I'd say there's two things. So like one, just enter every situation with a learner's mindset. It's really helpful if you understand that you don't know everything, right? Like if you can come to terms with that and enter every situation with, hey, I have this one data point from my experience or have my opinion even, right? And like, that's a data point, but let me go and pull the network. Let me talk to my employees. Let me understand like what their data points are. And then you're the one that's ultimately making the decision. But you should be hopefully getting more data points so you can make a more informed decision and putting your, like, just putting smart people around you if possible. So finding advisors that have done this before so you can ask them those questions and get those data points. Um, building a board of, you know, like our board is mostly operators, previous operators that have ran their own companies. And Good. So that's really helpful as well. Um, so I'd say, like, that's the one, the first piece of advice is is just really having the learner's mindset. And I think the second piece of advice is similar which is like hiring folks that know what they're doing that you can really trust and they can just run with it autonomously so our like mid-level management most of them are way more experienced than I am they understand whatever department it is that they're running significantly better than I do and so mm-hmm. my goal is to just not get in their way right like mm-hmm. i hire someone that has 25 years of sales and customer success experience they know better than i do i should not be the one that's like telling them how to do their job my goal is making sure they have the resources to do their job effectively, making sure they have the right team members, blocking them if, or unblocking them if they're blocked anywhere. But outside of that, like I have complete trust in our mid-level management. And so I kind of just let them run and just make sure, again, like, okay, where's the next area that we need more people? Where's the next area that folks would block? And I try and solve that problem and then hire someone to like take over and build a process out of it.
0: Great advice. Ryan, thank you so much for sharing your story and being on the Rider Flex podcast. I really appreciate that.
1: Thanks for having me. Yeah, this is a lot of fun.
0: Congratulations on everything you're doing, man. You guys are off to the races.
1: (laughs) Sounds good. Yeah, let's stay in touch. This this was a good time.